Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hello, Terry. This is our 150th episode. Wow, that is really almost hard to imagine. It is a milestone. And the reason I say it's hard to imagine is, as you well know, when we had the idea for this podcast, people told us over and over that nobody was going to want to talk about their depression. And if they did, nobody would want to listen to it. So, But as our guest today confirms, learning that others who have the same mental health challenges that you do and have found ways to manage them and are living full lives can be a lifeboat when you're floating around depression's deep, dark waters, feeling utterly alone and hopeless. Today, we continue our discussion with Michelle Yang, who immigrated to the United States from Korea when she was nine. Like many, the symptoms of her mental illnesses became obvious to her in her teens. Unfortunately, the school counselors, teachers, and parents that she reached out to for help all dismissed her, largely because she did not fit the mold of what they thought a depressed person looked like. Or it was just easier to attribute her symptoms to teenage angst or cultural differences. And that's where we're going to start today's episode. Referring back to a story Michelle started telling us in last week's episode, having paid a heavy personal price for other people's fears, ignorance, and stigma, she is bound and determined to make life a little easier for those walking similar dark paths today. Here again is Michelle giving her voice to depression. Michelle shared the story of taking an exam in high school, but because of what was going on in her mind and body, instead of doing the required math calculations, she doodled all over the test paper, covering it with what she calls gibberish and pictures. Then she turned it in. Rather than seeing this behavior as a sign or a call for help. She actually let me retake it. Like, that's the thing. Like, if you're a good student, you can get away with a lot. And while that may have helped Michelle with her grades and plan to earn a full scholarship to a prestigious college, it in no way addressed the problems that would eventually lead to her having to withdraw from that college. And that's what I, in my advocacy work now, try to instill in people, good grades does not equal good mental health. Yeah. You know, I think there's that gets so confused by so many people where people think if you have good grades, if you're active in extracurricular activities, which I was, I was like super involved in everything because I, I really wanted that scholarship to college to fund my own education. And so I think that's also a lot of added pressure, but I was really involved. And so if you're only using those two as markers of a person's wellness, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like, it's ridiculous, right? You, you wouldn't say, oh, this person has really good grades and is um, a really good soccer player. So hence, they could never get cancer, <laughs> you know? And so that's, that's ridiculous. But yet we use that same logic for mental health. 
So when and how were you diagnosed? So I was diagnosed when I was 20. I had I went to college on a scholarship, like I said, and my scholarship also paid for study abroad. Um, and I had gone to study abroad in my junior year to China, to Beijing. And um, it was, a, I think, a lot of circumstances that uh, came together to, that resulted in, probably my worst episode ever. You know, I just, I felt lonely there. Like once I got, fell into the depression, you know, I don't have to tell you, right? Like it, it kind of spirals yes. and I wasn't live, I wasn't leaving my room much anymore, my dorm room and uh, like not even to, to eat. It was the end of the term. Final exams were looming. Michelle was stressed, depressed, and depleted when her father called from the U.S. And he asks me to run an errand for him in a neighboring neighboring province that, that requires an overnight train. And this is like my last week of school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm already doing all this stuff. And I'm like, I can't possibly take a, train, yeah, <laughs> take a train to this other province. And, you know, he wanted me to buy these DVDs for him that were for his, his my dad was working on his own degree. And that was like educational DVDs. And I was like, I can't possibly. And he would not take no for an answer. And I'm not used to saying no to my dad. Mm-hmm. Right. I, and I felt so bad already. When you are depressed, you feel so low. You feel so worthless. You feel like you're not like worth the air you breathe. You're not worth, you know. I do. Yeah. And and so when he commanded me, I felt like, well, I'm so worthless. I need to at least do this for him, right? And so I mustered all the energy that I could and. And I like remember like willing myself like I must do this I must and like it's something switched from depression to mania, um. and um, I think it's the only time in my past like t- about twenty plus years of living with this condition that like I can almost like pinpoint the moment of going from depression to mania you know and um, and so I. It was like two in the morning when I ran out of my dorm and uh, went to this province to try to do this thing. And I was like completely out of my mind. To this day, at age 39, Michelle still describes it as a miracle she got back to her dorm safely. Safe, but not sound. This time people finally recognized she was in crisis. The program director called her father and told him to catch the next flight to Beijing to bring Michelle home. And um, he showed up two days later and he, he, I opened the door and he just like crumpled into my arms and he was sobbing, you know, cause of course, like I'm not trying to paint anyone as a villain. Like he, he thought I could do this. He demanded this of me, even though I said no, because he, he thinks that I am capable of doing any, anything. And he wants you know, and this was important to him, so he thought it was important enough to push me, but he didn't think that it would push me over the edge, right? Michelle was hospitalized with what she calls a full psychotic episode. She was later diagnosed with bipolar 1. It would take time and several tries to find the right meds before she was stabilized. She took a leave of absence from her scholarship and college on the advice of her psychiatrist, 
an option she would not otherwise have even known was a possibility. Absolutely. Yeah, because honestly, when you're going through it, you just think everything is the end of the world. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And so you just think, oh, my gosh, my life is over. It's the end of the world. I've just messed everything up. I can't come back from this. Who can come back from this? Nobody can come back from this. Like that's this that's the spiral, right? That's yeah, it's like my life is over is the is the spiral. And so for somebody to kind of stop you, shake you and go like it's going to be okay. You can take a break. You know, and then you can kind of like slip back into school when no one really notices. Mm-hmm. You know, and that and that's what that's what happened. I took a break. After that much needed break, Michelle was well enough to return to school. She not only finished her degree, but graduated summa cum laude. She then earned an MBA, worked some high-power, high-level jobs, fell in love, married, and had a son. She started sharing her story in support groups for others with bipolar disorder. But at work, she kept her diagnosis and experiences secret until she realized she was, in her words, feeding into the shame cycle. I was in a period of, you know, career growth as well and really like reflecting on like what's holding me back. Like why, what's holding me back from being confident in the workplace and, you know, um, being the best, like best self that I can be at work. And I realized that it's the cost of keeping my illness a secret, right? Because it, it kept me at at guard at a bit at bay with all my colleagues, I never fully trusted them. I never, it was a self-imposed, self-defeating spiral, like due to the fear of stigma. Like I had this fear of rejection that if they knew I lived with a mental illness, that they would never see me the same way again, that they would not trust me with the projects, that it would limit my career advancement opportunities or that they would just possibly reject me altogether. And that's when Michelle decided to write the article we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. She likens not being shameless about sharing her diagnosis to another deliberate action designed to make us appear something other than our real whole selves. I realized that it was like sucking in your gut for 20 years, right? (laughs) Trying to look better. No, I'm actually really skinny. See, I'm just sucking in like. Which is impossible, right? Yes. Like you can, you know, like, that is a really good and, and not comfortable or no, healthy. No, no. And so, um, and so, I decided to come out with it. I um, and become a mental health advocate and write. And um, I realized it was the cycle needed to end because by me staying silent, then the only narratives that are out there are the ones of people dying by suicide because those people can't hide because they're in crisis, you know? And so, so then that's why there's a singular narrative in society. For us to change that, then people who are doing well need to come out and say, look, I've lived for 20 years with bipolar disorder and I've managed it well. You know, I, I hold a job and I, you know, I, I'm a great mom and I'm just, I'm a normal person like you, you know? Um, that's what can break down the stigma. Yeah, I've never been happier, you know, than than now that I can finally breathe out and let it all hang. <laughs> like my, my gut is out. Yeah, <laughs> it's her authentic selves, yeah. right? Uh-huh. You know, you're all those amazing things 
and you mm-hmm. live with bipolar disorder. Exactly. It doesn't define me. I love Michelle's last line. It does not define me. You know, we are so much more than any one part of ourselves. You know, I'm not just a mother. Did you hear that, kids? You know, I am not just a person with depression. I am not just so many things exist in one container, even really super opposing things. There's got to be room for all of it. And the word that comes to mind is grace. You know, there has to be space and grace for all of it. Very nice. I also liked when she said it was a self-imposed, self-defeating spiral due to the fear of stigma and that the cycle has to end, which indeed it does. And because Michelle said things so well, we couldn't let her go without asking one final question. And we asked her what she thinks the most misunderstood aspect of bipolar disorder is. We're not, um, our lives are not uh, ruled by our mood swings. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's this misconception that like, oh, if you're going to be around a um, person with bipolar disorder, they're going to be so volatile and you, they're just completely unpredictable all the time. And it's like, that is not the case. Yeah, I try to think of other physical ailments that it would be ridiculous, right, of like a, 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 a person who is diabetic, who has diabetes, if you think that they're just going to pass out at any moment throughout the day, you know? Right. No, of course they're not. They're on insulin. They're on medication. They're on a special diet. Like, they're doing all these things to manage so that they won't just pass out in a meeting, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and yet, for some reason, for bipolar disorder, they expect this of us, that mm-hmm. they expect that there's no delineation, so just this constant roller coaster. Yeah, this constant roller coaster that there's like no treatment that actually works. So like I think that's one and if I can give you another one that Please. also really um irks me is that there's no distinction between people who are who live with a mental illness versus those it is diagnosed and they're actively in treatment. You know what I mean? So there are people who especially um, like my parents' generation who might live with a mental health condition who, due to stigma that they grew up with Mm -hmm. and denial, that never received treatment, right? And so then the way that they behaved toward their children caused a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. Um, But not making room for the distinction between people who got diagnosed, got help, got better, versus people who were unable to get help. Or afraid to, yeah. Yeah, or or afraid to, yeah. The help was, in whatever reason, inaccessible to them. Very uh, interesting. Thank you so much, Michelle. Next week, we'll have a special guest co-host as Terry finishes up her training to become a certified mental health peer specialist. Roseanne will be stepping in for Terry, and they used to work together in the newsroom. We did, and I'm grateful that she's coming in so that you don't have to do it all alone. Me too. (laughs) But I would. I think what you're doing is great, Terry. Thanks, Bud. And that interview, just so everyone knows, is going to be some great tips on diffusing negative thoughts and slowing down the racing mind. Much needed. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you again, Michelle. And I'll be back in the studio in three weeks. Enjoy your training, Terry, and I can't wait to learn from you. Thank you. I'll share what I learned.
We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.